Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm going to do for you. That's why I created Money Making Conversations. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. My next guest is Dr. Joseph Asamoah. He is the property investment strategist and president of Capital National Management Corporation. Dr. Joseph is from Ghana and came to America by way of England over 30 years ago with only $100 in his pocket. He now owns over 40 homes that he rents to low-income families. His mission is simple, is to change lives and provide opportunities for low-income people to live in safer neighborhoods and have access to resources, better education for their children, and beautiful design equity homes. He provides solutions to tackle gentrification and affordable housing issues in unique and very, very effective ways. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Dr. Joseph Asamoah. Rashawn, what an honor. I am so happy to be with you today. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I, I'm going to tell you something. When I, when I read your bio and they, 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 they told me you'd like to do my show and I can interview you, you know, my show is about uh, uplift. It's about motivation, about letting people know there are there's a better option for you to live. And that's that seems to be your mantra, man. It's like, you know, when I looked at everything I read is about how can somebody understand that there's an opportunity that they don't know about. You can give them information not only for a lifestyle, but but an income opportunity to change and value themselves as a better people in America. Exactly. 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 Yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing some of my ideas. And some of my journeys, trials and tribulations, ups and downs, and hopefully uh, be a source of inspiration for your listeners. Well, you are a source of inspiration because when I read that in the beginning, you know, you 30 years ago, $100 in your pocket. And a lot of people <laughs> start with, you know, that's that may be a lot of money to some people because in the era that we live today, in the middle of the pandemic. Let's talk about that. Let's start right now with that because we know housing is a major issue. People are being evicted. CDC did a suspend payment, but come January, you still will have to pay the payments that you missed during that suspension period. How will a guy who rents out to low-income housing, how has that impacted what you're trying to do for the community and the people who are renting from you? Yeah, I mean, what I found, as I said, uh, housing is a basic human need that uh, everybody needs. And uh, what I realized when I first came here um, in fact, the story was, I, I came here with, um, I knew one person in the United States. I used to live in England, and um, when I came here, my, uh, you know, about six weeks after I arrived, uh, my boss was fired. Uh, not because of anything he did wrong, it was just that there was a reorganization. Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, uh, the new guy that came in, um, you know, got rid of my, my boss, and uh, he was let go. So six, about six or seven weeks later, a few weeks later, we met up for lunch. And this was, uh, in hindsight, probably uh, a major uh, change in my life. Essentially, what he said to me during that lunch, he says, look, this is America. These things happen. And, uh, but make sure you have a plan B uh, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And this guy, apparently, he had like 10 houses. And I just couldn't fathom how anybody could have more than one house. It's just like, how is that possible? Mm 
Right. And uh, he just said, look, Joe, if uh, whatever you do, uh, make sure you have a plan B. I chose real estate. But uh, if you do buy something, make sure that you keep it. Don't sell it. And because over the long haul, um, you know, you'll be fine. Because he had this rental income coming in, uh, which was able to provide, provide him that sort of cushion because he lost his job. So uh, I knew zero about real estate investing, and uh, I didn't have any money. But, um, you know, I took him at his word. I did some research, and I bought my first house about a couple of years later. A complete disaster. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And, um, I mean, I can go through that. But, the, yeah, the, but the, Jimmy, the, Jimmy, the, Jimmy, when you say everything that could be wrong, could have gone wrong, went wrong, what do you mean when you say that? Well, in this particular case, um, the house had tenants inside already. And uh, so when I spoke to him, or the, the potential person that was buying, uh, the seller of the house, I asked him, you know, what are the tenants like? He said, oh, man, they're great. They're fantastic people. I mean, I was straight from England. You know, all Americans are honest people. So I took him at his word. And uh, after I bought the house, I found out that they hadn't paid him for three months. And they had a water bill of $5,000. Um, so that's what I, that was my first entree into real estate, this this this. Uh, this disaster. And, uh, but essentially, uh, what happened in the end, I was able to turn that thing around. I didn't know anything. And mm-hmm. I was able to turn it around, worked with the tenants, and were able to catch everything up. But looking back, that was probably um, the best thing that ever happened. Not because, uh, I mean, we can laugh about it now, but uh, during the time, it was just pure help. What I learned, what I learned was everything that you're not supposed to do, what not to do. And uh, once I was able to sort of pick myself up, I then bought the second house and then bought the third house and just sort of continued until uh, about 15 years ago when all my, um, at that time I was working for a major technology company, my income at that company equaled what I was making for my rental properties. So I was able to have that plan B that, um, you know, my ex-boss told me about. So, I mean, that's essentially the journey is that real estate, you know, it, it has lots of benefits. Uh, it can be a real, a true vehicle towards wealth, uh, wealth building. You can create a legacy. Uh, you can get cash flow. You can get tax benefits. Let me ask you this. You let me ask you this, Doctor Joseph. Let me ask yeah. you this. We know because you know I hear the word Plan B, and I just, I just see it. You just became an entrepreneur. All right, you were working for somebody, and you just became an entrepreneur, and you used a gift that you have the ability to, to. Uh, to see your visionary skills, saying, okay, this is income. Because we see so many popular TV shows on now that kind of talk about flipping homes and buying mm-hmm. this home. And the gen- that's right, that, right. They're so popular now. So 30 years ago, they weren't, that idea wasn't popular. But now it's a TV-friendly show to watch. And so so your plan B, like I said, to me, is just that you just – you just uh, welcomed your role as an entrepreneur and then you walk, would enable you to be able to walk away from that hourly wage or that 40 hour week job that so many people are strapped to. And so so when I when I see that and I see the opportunity that you present yourself, it's, it's, it's an easy conversation talking about where well, I bought one home, or bought two home. We say bodies home. Did you use personal loans? Did you use income from your bank savings? How did you initially start buying a home? And then that second home and third, did you leverage the first home? How did that how did this 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 sure. process start, process start to develop? Yeah, okay. So the the the, the first house I bought, um, you know, the one with that disaster. Right. Uh it, it's essentially uh the seller I mean, at the time I was working, 
the seller at that point was able to, well, I was able to negotiate with him because he wanted to get rid of that house. Right. Uh, whereby essentially uh, I was able to buy that house without much money down. You know, we we're able to negotiate a low down payment and I was able to afford that because he wanted to get, he was what we call a motivated seller. He just wanted to get rid of that thing. Right. Now the second house, the second house, which is probably more important, um, was that uh, at that time I bought a house uh, specifically uh, whereby I could rent some space in the home. Okay. So uh, it had a basement, which I knew I could sort of rent out. Uh, it had three bedrooms upstairs. I, was, I lived in one and rented the other two out. So what that meant was that uh, I could buy this home, but my expenses, the biggest expense that most people have is their housing expense. If you're able to drive that thing down, uh, to buy renting part of the space in the home, uh, then your everyday expenses goes down quite tremendously. So in this case, the income that I was getting from the property essentially equaled the mortgage that I was paying out. And therefore, I was able to save more money. And then I saved and kept on saving. And therefore, uh, by the savings from the second property, I was able to have the down payment for the third property and so on. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so the idea is that there's two things. One is, okay, if you don't have any money, okay, and you want to get this thing going, then you have several options. One is to obviously you need to either increase your income uh, by having a side hustle or, or generate some income one way or the other, or you can reduce your expenses. And the biggest expense that most people have is their housing expense. So how can you drive that housing expense lower such that you can save some money from which you can then start. If you don't have that, then the third option is to de develop expertise and knowledge. Right. And therefore, you, part you partner with people who do have the resources. Okay? So there's people out there who have money but don't know how to do this. Uh, so you have to bring something to the table for them to want to work with you. So you may have the knowledge or you may have the time or the expertise or you develop that anyway. And then you can partner with people who may not, who have the money but don't have the skills and knowledge. You know, I remember a couple, I want to say a couple, about 10 years ago, a friend of mine approached me and he was telling me about, you know, we was going into an inner city neighborhood and he was saying that the city in general wants these neighborhoods upgraded because it because if you upgrade a block because he was just talking about it. we went down this block he said what we're going to do is we're going to buy these homes here and we're going to upgrade them a little bit and when we upgrade these homes and fix the street then the city will be able to raise the tax dollars and he said that's the that's why the city likes when you come in and get these neighborhoods upgraded because they can charge more taxes. Now, when you charge more taxes, then in turn, that means that the people who live in, the, in these homes can't, maybe not, may or may not can't afford it. So how does that work with you? Because when you're going in, I'm sure you're taking these homes, you're purchasing them, you're upgrading them. The, the, do the taxes increase on the people or, or you, or do you pass those, those tax increases to the, to the renters? How does that work? Okay. Um, so you buy a house. And then you improve it. Yes. And then you, you know, once you improve it, obviously the value has gone up. And uh, most times, as you said before, the tax, uh, the assessments are based on the value of the home. So the, the taxes may go up. So, I mean, that's just the reality. So what I do is that, um, you yeah, know, I rent most of my houses to low-income families. Yes. Uh, many of the families have uh, housing choice vouchers, Section 8, as they uh, as people uh, commonly uh, refer them to. And one thing I've realized is that uh, there's a lot of families, there's a stigma associated with Section 8 and low-income housing. 
there's uh, what I realize is that there's a large number of families out there who are really no different than you and I, Rashawn. Um, they want the best for their children. They don't want to be shot at no more than you want to be shot at. Mm-hmm. They want to have a decent home. They want to live in a, uh, you know, a, you know, where access to amenities. They're really no different than you and I. The only difference is that they may not have the money, uh, but their goals, their outlook, their expectations for the children are no different than you and I. So what I realized when I realized this is that if I can provide quality housing, good areas, I can attract those families. And, uh, and when, when you get those families, it truly is a blessing because what happens is that they are so appreciative of the fact that somebody is giving them an opportunity to live in a nice house in a nice area. And four things happen. One is that they pay the rent. Two is that they take care of your property. Three, they're pleasant to deal with. And four, which is probably the more important one, they stay a long time. Uh, and this business, as I'm sure you know, it's cheaper to keep an existing customer yes. happy than mm-hmm. it is to go find another one. So in the space of the real estate environment, it's cheaper to have an existing tenant happy so they stay with you a long time rather than having the vacancy and turnover when they leave. Because when they leave, you've got to paint the place again, you've got to clean up and so forth. So, um, so therefore, the, you know, so, so the, the, the rents that you collect each month stays in your pocket. Right. But the important thing is that you're providing life-changing opportunities. Life-changing. I mean, I was speaking to one of my tenants last week. Just by the fact that she moved into one of my properties, two of her kids have got 4.0 uh, GPAs. Wow. They're going to college, full scholarships. Uh, and this would not have happened if they weren't in a better area. Uh, this would not have happened if those opportunities didn't present themselves to you. So, I mean, that's really the other side of things. You can make money, but also you can do good. And, um, and well, you well, know, well, you, that's what you stated in your earlier. Your mission is to change lives, provide opportunities for low income people to live in safer neighborhoods and live, have access to resources and better education. That's what always angers me about racism, because racism acts like it makes it seem like people who don't have or people of color who don't have want to steal, want to sell drugs, want to mm-hmm. bring no. down the value of a neighborhood because they move no. into that neighborhood. And that's really, like no. you said, a horrible stereotype that you have to deal with when you're meeting people who just want the same value and the same opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, in, I mean, uh, the, the, the larger context is, at least in Washington, D.C., I'm sure it's the same thing where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of your, your listeners are neighborhoods are being transformed. OK, being changed. OK, through gentrification. Now, that's just the reality, uh, at least in Washington, D.C., it's just rampant. In neighborhoods where many years ago you say, who the hell want to live there? Now you can't get there. You can't get in. It's changed. Uh, for example, when, when, you know, one of the, the blocks where we used to live uh, in Washington, D.C., when I was there, uh, that block was 100% black, African-American. Now that block is 100% white. There's only one family uh, on that block that's African-American, and that is my tenant. Uh, if I didn't keep that home and provide that opportunity to that family, they wouldn't be there. So the idea is that, um, you know, through what we can do, you and I and, and so forth, we can mitigate some of the effects of gentrification, which is displacement. Uh, we understand these families. We know what they're trying to accomplish, and we can sort of have an insight and, and uh, really understanding to give them a chance, to give them opportunities. 
And that's um, true. That's very true. You know, that's very true. So and they I, can hopefully. Yeah. And, that, and that's why I brought up that whole statement about, you know, when when you upgrade a neighborhood or you upgrade a house, then the taxes go up. And then guess what? The people who live in that sometimes have to move out or in your situation that you was explaining about it's the same thing happened in Harlem you go to Harlem right now I remember when I first moved up to New York you couldn't catch a cab to Harlem now <laughs> you walk to Harlem at 2 o'clock in the morning and white people walk around with their dogs you know exactly. at 125th street and that's that's no joke and it's like okay no. this is like okay you know you go other than Showtime other than Apollo Theater a uh, Harlem is pretty much white up there. You know, people yeah. argue that case with me, but go up there and hang out because I know I lived in New York. I yeah. moved to New York in 88. I moved back yeah. there in 2005 and it was just two different neighborhoods. But along the way, I would always go up there either to perform or to visit yeah. uh, television show pitches or visit people that I know. And you see these communities change that are 100% minority or 100% black. Now, they can't even live in the neighborhoods that they were born in. They can't even live in the neighborhoods that they grew up in because of the fact that the low income has been pushed out and been pushed out yeah. because value has out, outsourced their ability to have income to pay for it. So when I listen to you saying like black and low low income family lives do matter, given an opportunity to live in high income gentrified areas that you just mentioned, they normally could never afford by utilizing a recession proof formula. What is that recession proof formula that you're talking about? Sure. The thing about um, some of these sort of uh, like the, the housing choice voucher program, the Section Eight program, it's it's a program whereby. Uh, part of the rent is paid by the housing authority, the local housing authority, and the remainder is paid by the tenant. Okay, so um, so for instance, I'll just give a, an example. If the rent for this property is a thousand dollars, for example, which is not the case in New York, it's not the case in Washington D.C., but just for a conversation, you know, easy numbers. If the rent is a thousand dollars for your home, then you may decide. Well, the housing authority may pay, let's say, six hundred of that thousand. And the tenant's portion may be 400. And the tenant's portion is based on their income. So the more money they make, the more that they pay. The less money they make, the less that they pay. Okay, so let's just take a simple scenario. $1,000 rent, $600 is paid by the housing authority, and $400 is paid by the tenant. The reason why it's recession-proof is that if the tenant loses their uh, income, loses their job or whatever it is, then typically what will happen is that they'll go to the housing authority and their portion will go down because their income has gone down. So it may go from 400 to 200. And, uh, and therefore, the housing authority picks up the difference. So their portion will go from 600 to 800. The $1,000 is still the same. It's just that the, uh, the breakdown of that $1,000 will, 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 will change. Right. So in a, in, a, in a recession, when people lose their income, uh, or people have their house cut, hours cut and things like that, what happens is that they may not be able to pay you, and therefore you would lose that whole $1,000, okay? Uh, under that, uh, that's, if I was rented to, a, a, let's say, a market renter, if they lost their job or lost their hours, they may not be able to pay the $1,000. But with a housing authority tenant, the Section 8 tenant, their portion will go from 400 to 200 So I will still get the 800 from the housing authority, and the tenant's responsible for the 200. So you are essentially um, going to get most of your rent, if not all of your rent, uh, regardless of the economic cycle that you're in. And that's basically what you're saying is that these rental, rent, these individual rental, kind of like I almost have a built-in 
government plan that allows you to get your rent paid, a portion of it paid at least, no matter what's going on, no matter the, during the pandemic, no matter during the reception, you pretty much can can uh, can stay afloat with the tenant that you have versus a person who may get laid off from a job, a person who may get fired, may get terminated, may right. do the illness, and they have no income, then the rent that you could potentially get from that person is zero, correct? Yes, it could, yeah. So I have some tenants who the rents are zero, and some of them are hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, or whatever it is. So it, you know that that portion again is based on the income that they make. But right. the key though is that these are nice homes in nice areas. These families are they want to stay there, right? Uh, and, and so they're in no rush to leave. And uh, you know, in in this business, you know, I, I can't really stress this. It, certain neighborhoods, certain areas, certain cities, certain geographic geographies, over time, the prices of houses go up. And, um, you know, as you said, in New York and Atlanta, and so over time, the houses go up. Therefore, if you can buy this house or this asset and keep it for a long time, then the price will go up. And that's, that's, a, that's wealth, that's legacy, that's income, that's uh, cash flow that you can obviously leave as a legacy to your family, your children. And, um, you know, and you can pass on. Like uh, my father used to tell me, they're not going to make any more land. Once you buy that land, then it's something that you can own and, uh, and build on. And, uh, and like you said, a legacy part of it. But in 2018, Joe, you formed this uh, the Legacy Investment Network. It's a free community membership platform. And basically, everybody is comprised of nearly 1,000 investors and industry professionals who have access to your expertise. So tell us about the Legacy Investment Network that, formed, that you formed in 2018, Joseph. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from my perspective, the pie is big enough for everybody. Okay, uh, it doesn't matter if Rashawn does what I do. It doesn't yes. matter if, you know, the, the pie is, is enough for everybody. And uh, so what I realized, uh, you know, is that whenever, whenever, whenever I have a house for rent, I'm getting 12, 13, 14 applications. So I'm turning down 10, 12, 13 people, families, families who are yearning for these opportunities. So I cannot meet the need. It's just mm. not possible. Uh, it's not possible. So therefore, you know, my whole idea is what can I do to encourage other people to replicate what I'm doing? Uh, and so that's essentially the genesis of the network is that uh, I try to help people, educate people, share with them what I'm doing, give them the opportunity to see what I'm doing, and hopefully give them the inspiration and encouragement to replicate what I'm doing. And uh, that's essentially what it is because uh, you cannot meet the need, need Rashad. Your listeners cannot meet the need. The need is too great. And uh, we need more people uh, to do this because the analogy is, it, 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 I see this as like the, 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 the train is leaving the station. We can sit on the, the station curb and sort of watch the train move, leave, right. and complain that the train is left. Or we can get onto that train and be a you know, participant on that journey so my job, I think what I can do is to help people get onto that train. Uh, and that's essentially what the Legacy Network uh, does. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about it, when I look at your, your academic background, electrical engineering, MBA, PhD, education is important to you. And so because that, that, that tells me that you want other people to have that same opportunity to educate themselves. So when you're telling your story, what do you want people to remember about you, Joseph? 
What do I, what, this is a, this is a good one, a uh, good question, Rashawn. <laughs> I, I didn't mean, because you're a good talker, Joseph. I didn't mean to stop you now. <laughs> but just, well, no, but no, you, the no, reason, reason I say this, let me just back up a little bit and tell you why. Because sure. when, when, when yeah. I look at a person like you who's, you know, you come you come over to this country from, from England, Ghana born, okay, 30 years ago, and you immediately understand, you see the opportunity, but you're not afraid to investigate the opportunity. Now, like you told me earlier, you said, Rashawn, I knew nothing about real estate, but now you're considered a real estate, a master in real estate investment. You're considered that. So that means that you made yourself an expert, but then your, your academic training is in electrical engineering. Okay, and then you got an MBA and then information systems, your PhD. So none of these things have to do with real estate other than the fact that you've taken an opportunity as an entrepreneur and and mastered it. And so when I asked you, what do you what do you want people to remember about you? That's the question that I need to answer. No, 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 it's a good one. Let me let me let me answer it this way. Okay, I was speaking to to my mom. Okay, about a few years ago. She's in England, and uh, she was telling me, uh, I'll tell you what I'm doing. She said, when are you going to stop? Why, why are you doing this? When is enough enough? I mean, you know, just tip, you know, typical mom. Uh, she's not an entrepreneur. Uh, why are you doing this? When is enough enough? Haven't you got enough houses? Stop, you know, uh, and, and so on. And, and I was just thinking about that because it's a legitimate question. When is enough enough? You know, when do you say it's enough, Rashawn? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've accomplished what you need to do. Um, you know, you've done what you can. When is enough enough? And, and so I realized that what I'm doing essentially is providing opportunities for other families. Uh, I'm providing opportunities, hopefully, by sharing knowledge to other investors who can get on to, the, the, you know, do what I do. So if I stop doing what I'm doing, then what about those 10, 12, 13 tenants who I have to turn down? Where are they going to live? And uh, who's going to provide them quality housing, quality areas? Who's going to do what I'm doing? You know, uh, who's going to do it? You know, so, so, uh, so the legacy essentially is hopefully, yes, you can make money, but also you can do good. You can provide, um, you can be remembered as a person who's provided quality housing, you created opportunities for families, and you've helped other other investors, other individuals, especially African American community, build wealth and have a legacy which they can pass on to future generations. Because if we don't do this, these neighborhoods are changing, and we are being left behind. Right. Uh, we have no say in what's going on in our communities. Zero say. We got to own some of these assets. We got to own some of these communities. We got to own it. Uh, because if you don't own it, you're at the mercy of somebody else. Right. You know, you know, the, 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 when I, your mom respond, question you is very natural question because she's thinking from a investment, from an economic standpoint, but she's, she's, she's born to this life, an incredible young man who is more than about money. You're about changing lives and you're about seeing when you can wake up the next day. This is a question that if she ever asked you that question, this is a response I would give to your mom. I would say, mom, when uh, when I wake up the next day and I don't have to worry about people not equally getting the same opportunities as everybody else in this country, when they when people are uh, feel that their child can get equally educated and live in a neighborhood that's comfortable to them, when they uh, don't have to worry about being rejected because of the color of their skin, then 
that will be enough. Will be enough then, Mom. But right now, it's not enough. And people like you, Joseph Asamoah, are important to the chain of opportunity for all of us. Because I always tell people, you know, you know, if you give me a break, I'm a person of color. Guess what? You're gonna win too. That means that that means that I'm I'm, I'm pursuing the same dream. I'm paying the same taxes. I'm going to work, and I'm putting forth the same effort that you want to put to make this country great. If we make this country great together, then we all win. And that is what you're trying to accomplish. And you are accomplishing. I should put the word try in it. Okay, you are accomplishing that. And I'm a teammate, too. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show, Joseph. That's all. That's all. Yeah, let me tell you what I do, okay? In addition, you know, the, the, what I realize is that there are two assets in, all, in what I do. There's the, the real estate asset. Yes, sir. But the other asset, which is the human asset, the family. Okay, uh, it's a very, very, very important asset in this equation because without them, you can't do this business. Uh, and a lot of landlords fail to understand that. So what I do is I realize that I've got to have happy tenants. And all my tenants, every Mother's Day, we give them bouquets of flowers. Uh, every Christmas, we uh, give them Christmas presents. If the kids get all A's at school, I give them $50 gift certificates. And uh, believe it or not, uh, we give our tenants free vacations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's hot. I love my tenants. I love this business. They're good families out here, uh, despite the stereotypes. They're just yearning for somebody to give them an opportunity and a chance. And um, so there are two sides to this thing, is that you can do good, but also you can make money. Uh, but more importantly, as I say, you can leave a legacy Mm-hmm. And uh, to your children, your family, and for your community. Well, my friend, um, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Like I told you earlier, off air, I'm building a new studio. Have a, I'm gonna have a giant video wall because all, <laughs> all my interviews are gonna be by video uh, starting uh, next month. So uh, okay. in the month of December, since you out there passing that Christmas presents to your landlord, <laughs> to your, I mean, to your, to your renters, I wanted you to bring it, bring it back on the show and maybe we bring a tenant or two. You know, we'll zoom them into oh, the call. How about that? How about love that? It, love it, love let, it, let's, love let's, it. We'll invite a couple of your tenants on and they'll talk about the experience, man, because, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to tell your story, man. And your story, this is just an introduction to your story, but let's, let's peel it back a little bit more in the month of December and uh, doing a Zoom call to bring on a couple of more of your tenants and uh, just talk about how you've changed sure. your life. Thank you for coming on the show. Sure. Yeah, if anybody can connect to me, I do have a Wealth Wednesdays every okay. Wednesday on okay. my social media. Okay. So uh, they, they can reach me on Instagram uh, or Facebook, DR, uh, DR, Dr. Joe Asimo, J-O-E Asamoa. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I do have what I call a Wealth Wednesdays. Okay. And so they can tune in and uh, I talk about different subjects, uh, all pertains to building wealth and uh, generations and uh, and so forth. So check me out. Well, well, I, the good thing about Wednesday. that is my newsletter goes out on Wednesdays morning at nine okay. o'clock in the morning and so i i put that in my newsletter i, I get with my team to get a banner and get a uh some links oh, so we can promote thank it you. okay and also yeah, uh, you might see a familiar face i might drop in and watch you how about that oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey 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 rashad i also um i don't know if you've heard this platform called bigger pockets mm-hmm. uh bigger pockets they're the world's largest uh, real estate um you know social media platform uh, i do have a program on there every other friday and it's a national platform. So uh, I would welcome the opportunity to maybe one day, if you're not 
too busy. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm telling you, Joseph. Based on what you do, man, I'll make time. I'm seriously. I, what you're doing, I, I love you, dude, because you're doing yeah. things that I've been doing since I was 18, and I didn't realize what I was doing was just natural to me. And you're doing things yeah. that are natural to you, and and you're yeah. not and you're not embarrassed by that. You say, "Hey, man, I'm making money, but I'm also changing lives. I'm also leaving legacy. I'm also understanding that you can do this too. Also, there's room for other people." I want other people exactly. to come in because guess what? More people means more people's lives are changed by the same effort, the same mission statement. So that's what exactly. so you tell my staff when you need me. You send me those banners so I can promote your Wednesday <laughs> show. And Joseph, you'll be back on my show December with a couple of your tenants, okay? Yes, sir. Thank but you, John, man. This has been a, a wonderful. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity. <laughs> and uh, I can now die in peace. All right. I, I appreciate you, brother. The, I spoke to the man, the legend. Oh, I appreciate you, brother. <laughs> bye bye, man. You stay safe, okay? Take care, guys. All thank right. you. Bye. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversations interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.